Let's go to the movies, an award season podcast. Welcome to season four, episode two. On today's episode, I will be discussing the menu and bones and all. So unintentional theme related to dining experiences that are not normal. Let's jump right in. The first film on today's episode is The Menu, directed by Mark Mylod. It has a Rotten Tomato score of 89%. So the plot of this movie follows a couple as they're attending an exclusive and private dinner being put on by a world-class chef on a private island. It stars Nicholas Holt, Rafe Fiennes, a.k.a. Voldemort, and Anya Taylor-Joy, who is one of my favorite people. So that was kind of also some of my initial draw was this casting. We'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, Mark Mylod has directed uh, several notable television franchises, including Succession, Shameless, Game of Thrones, Entourage. His movies include Ollie G in the House, The Big White, and What's Your Number? So this is one of his more recent films, obviously. And I would say one of his more different films from his past um, filmography in regards to film specifically, but maybe kind of also plays off a little more of the vibe of some of his more recent television. Um, This movie was written by Will Tracy, who writes specifically for Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, but he also writes for Succession as well. And I'm assuming that that's how these two kind of linked up, was based off of that. Um, This movie, or I guess the story, was actually inspired by an experience that Will Tracy had while he was dining out at a fancy restaurant, and he kind of just developed the story based off of his own experience. Well, obviously, it is very much more exaggerated than any normal dining experience, but it it does have a loose inspiration. So in April 2019, Emma Stone was announced to star in the leading role alongside Rafe Fiennes, and Alexander Payne was actually supposed to direct... Um, By May of 2020, Payne and Stone both left, and then that's when Mylod stepped in, and Anya Taylor-Joy joined the film in June 2021. So then filming did begin in September of 2021 in Savannah, Georgia, which is very noticeable if you are from this area. (laughs) And uh, something interesting I did read was they brought on several fine dining consultants um, to kind of help with the filming. They would script um, and outline certain proteins or moods or vibes that they wanted from each of the dishes, and those consultants helped develop the meals that were featured in the movie based off of those notes. The film premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival in September 2022. It was released in theaters November 2022. It's actually the widest film release in Searchlight Pictures history which I also thought was kind of cool because Searchlight is very notable, so I would have not expected that, to be honest. Um, This film is described as a satire, a black comedy, if you will, on foodie culture, and that becomes very apparent, like, from the jump. Everything down to the presentation of the dishes on screen and even to the characters eating them um, plays off of 
I think, our expectation of how fine dining is to be presented. So it really reminded me of like Top Chef, Chopped, things of that nature where they show the dish isolated from the real world context and then they like give it a title and list out the ingredients and you know there's like a cinematic vibe to how the dish is being presented to you the viewer so right off the bat I thought that was really funny um because I do enjoy Top Chef that's one of my favorite shows so I was like oh yes they're highlighting each dish so well Uh, And then that even took its own turn, and it eventually became a very cheeky kind of a joke that they were doing that. An example of that is when, towards the end of the film, Nicholas Holt's character is called out for being kind of like a fraud, thinking he knows all this stuff, but he really doesn't know anything and doesn't even cook food. And he tries to make a dish, and they put it on the screen and title it Tyler's Bullshit. (laughs) So that's kind of uh, when you finally realize, okay, this is making fun of me. And I felt most represented, honestly, in Nicholas Holt's character. Just wanting to be so in the know and in the loop in this food world. But literally just has no idea what's actually going on. Um, One of my friends, when we got out of the theater, he instantly was like, okay, so this was basically like eat the rich in movie form. And so I thought that was a good way to put it. So spoiler alerts coming officially now. Um, Kind of the overall point of this movie is Ray Fiennes' character, who is the notable chef, is ultimately trying to get revenge on these people who have sabotaged his career or sabotaged the food industry in some way or people that just don't respect the art of food. And it's all inadvertently wealthy people because... Wealthy people obviously have the money to enjoy experiences like this, and they expect certain things from these experiences. And uh, Ray Fiennes is kind of just like, yeah, screw you guys. You are part of the menu now. And thus eat the rich being played out before our very eyes. Um, But yeah, very much so a commentary on how the general public, the viewer, We are the ones who consume everything, and we are the ones who ultimately ruin those things as well. Kind of meta, even if you look at it very literal of consuming media, consuming film, and how we ultimately end up ruining that. (laughs) It's very much so poking fun at people who are looking for a dining experience and how those people are destroying the experience. Um... Like, the, they have the two food critics who are just overanalyzing everything. But they also think that there's got to be a reason behind all of it. Then there's, like, Nicholas Holt's character who's trying to take photos of everything despite them telling him not to take any photos. You're ruining the experience in doing so, but he's so determined to do that and to know every single thing that's on the plate Meanwhile, Anya Taylor-Joy's character is, like, not buying into it at all because you eventually realize that she was not supposed to even be there. Nicholas Holt's character's original girlfriend slash date to this event could not attend anymore, anymore, but he was so determined to be there, he just brought anybody with him. And so that also kind of plays out in the story because Ray Fiennes is trying to figure out who she is, why she's here, 
because it doesn't fit into his narrative that he's built of like how this menu this evening is supposed to go because she she has no purpose to be there so she has no purpose to be quote unquote eaten by the rich (laughs) she's got no reason to ultimately die at the end which is kind of what he's trying to do here um so another aspect of it if you're looking at it just from maybe more on the food industry side, kind of just showing how this world-renowned chef is just driven to insanity by years of customers, critics, investors, not really appreciating him or his food. So he's just very jaded, and he kind of has, like, lost sight of what he's even doing because he's just so caught up in getting revenge on all of these people. That storyline kind of is more emphasized and reflected in a scene towards the end where Anya Taylor-Joy's character realizes that he used to work at a cheeseburger place and was like employee of the month. So clearly he could make a good cheeseburger. So she just starts kind of poking at him and is like, you know what? I'm not fooled. This food sucks. Make me a cheeseburger. And they strip it down. They make it like they follow him making this burger. And you can tell he finally has that little spark of why he likes cooking again. And it's also reflected in how she actually enjoys eating it versus like being served the other dishes and she's just sitting there kind of like, what is this? I'm not eating this. This doesn't even look like food. <laughs> so that little, I don't think that was like the main focus of the story, was, but I think it was an element just kind of showing how somebody in his position, could be driven to do what he is doing. And kind of, uh, you need kind of like that ratatouille moment where you are taken back to something in your past that actually inspired you in the first place. Something related to food that actually made you feel something. And I think that's what the cheeseburger was for him. But I think in what he's trying to achieve in this film with his menu is just trying to prove that the ultimate destroyer of things is us, these customers, these fans. Um, and as I mentioned, it is also just kind of poking fun at people who might actually be so inclined to want to watch this film. Like, I was intrigued by it because I do enjoy watching those food shows. <laughs> so I was like, ooh, I'm intrigued. Would this still hold the same impact if someone was not really invested in foodie culture, that is something I would be interested in. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you're not as invested in foodie culture. Did you still enjoy it? I'm curious. Um, And I also was curious how chefs might respond to it, how, like, waiters, food industry staff members, like, actual maybe, like, food critics even, like, how how do those people respond to it, people who are more involved in this industry on a day-to-day basis? Uh, So I think in a way, by presenting each character from a certain realm of the food world, that maybe there is a way to identify with it, even if you aren't so fully immersed in it, like if you're not a chef or you don't go to fine dining all the time. But maybe you are one of those people who takes a photo every time you eat. There's, I think, at least an element where you can kind of connect to it. But very, very curious how the actual culinary world 
sees this. I would need to try to intentionally seek someone out to get their opinion, I think. Um, so as I was saying, like the ultimate point of this movie was that he was creating this progressive menu where ultimately the dining guests would be part of the final dish and it would tie all the meals together. Final dish, as it is presented, is a take on s'mores. <laughs> and that actually killed me because I love s'mores. And so I was like, okay, this is also hilarious because it's just making fun of me and that fact that I love s'mores. <laughs> and it's basically was described in the movie as being a culinary downfall, like basically just taking all of these elements, putting them together, calling it like an American classic. <laughs> And it was just wild to me. It's, uh, I'm equating this and the everything bagel moment from everything everywhere all at once is like my, my two favorite food moments of this year in movies. Uh, and now every time I see anything related to s'mores, I just can't help but thinking of the menu and have how I am ruining <laughs> food culture by indulging in the s'mores. Very brilliant. Just, I thought that was very genius final dish, <laughs> final moment of the movie. Um, something that was also funny that actually one of my friends, I saw it with like three other people, she just, she died laughing, was when Red Fine's character, he calls out the one actor who's there for the dinner. Because he's kind of going around explaining why he's upset with everybody and what they've done to cause them to have to be here as part of the menu and basically he was just like yeah uh you're here because I watched your movie and it sucked and it ruined my only day off that I'd had in weeks so that's why you're here <laughs> and it was just hilarious because if you do work in an industry where you don't have a lot of time off your days off are valuable <laughs> and you probably would blame the actor in a crappy movie if they wasted your time and I thought that was very real, and it was just very hilarious. And as I mentioned uh, a little bit ago, I feel most connected to Nicholas Holt's character, Tyler, just in the sense that I'm kind of an observer of food culture. I do take photos of food. I try to appreciate the ingredients in things, even though I don't really cook things like that. <laughs> so it kind of made me question, are most of us a Tyler? Are most of us that go see this movie a Tyler? <laughs> I know I'm certainly a Tyler. Um, just trying to act in the know. You're almost like over-appreciating all of it instead of just like eating the food. <laughs> I would actually be curious if there was like uh, maybe kind of like a BuzzFeed quiz on like which character dining in the menu are you? <laughs> kind of like are you a Charlotte? Are you a Samantha? <laughs> maybe I'll have to make that quiz. Um, but yeah, this was a wild ride for sure. It was a great movie. It was different. It was original. It was funny. It was, wasn't was scary, but it did kind of have like a suspense element to it. Uh, I definitely think it's worth checking out. Um, the casting alone is wonderful. So definitely check it out, at least for them. If you like food in any capacity, you probably will enjoy it. I'm pretty sure it's still in a few theaters and it's probably moving to streaming on demand shortly. In terms of awards, uh, I think for the Golden Globes, it's been nominated for a few acting awards. 
for the Oscars that might carry through. I'm not sure. It's going to just depend on what it's stacked up against, but maybe uh, writing, just because it's very original. And that kind of struck me was how original it felt and just kind of how different it is. If there was some kind of award for something related to food specifically or, you know, like culinary consulting on a film, this would definitely win. But such is life, there probably won't be much recognition for it. However, I definitely do recommend it. This film is The Menu. Moving right into the second film for today's episode, we have Bones and All. This is directed by Luca Guadagnino. Rotten Tomato score of 83%. So this plot follows a cannibal girl as she's traveling to find her mother, and she meets a boy along the way, and they start to learn if they are able to coexist with others that are like them. Um, So as I mentioned at the top of the episode, this is an unintentional theme of strange dining experiences. So this director, Guadagnino, he recently directed Suspiria in 2018, Prior to that, he did Call Me By Your Name, A Bigger Splash, and something called Bertolucci on Bertolucci. He also has done several short films, but these are his main directorial films. So this movie was based on a 2015 novel by Camille DeAngelis. It was adapted by David Kogjanovich, who also did Suspiria and A Bigger Splash. So it seems like they've got kind of like a working relationship going. This project was announced in April 2019 with Antonio Campos set to direct. In January 2021, the main casting was announced, and now with the current director, Guadagnino, set to direct. Filming then began in May 2021 in Ohio. This is Guadagnino's first film that was set and shot in the United States. He's uh, an Italian director, so he usually does stuff in Italy or... Europe area, you know, other areas. Um, And interestingly enough, this film was actually fully financed by Italian companies. um, And it was wrapped in July 2021. Now that was an interesting note. It um, made me curious how that factors into awards season. Is it considered a foreign film? Since it has no U.S. backers, I'm not quite clear on that. But I did find that kind of interesting especially since it's based in the United States entirely. It had its world premiere at the Venice Film Festival in September 2022, had a limited theatrical release November 18th, 2022, and then wide release on November 23rd. And it's honestly already basically out the door. So this was kind of like you either saw it or you didn't type of thing. Um, This was actually the first film to be acquired by United Artists releasing and, and MGM Pictures following the merger with Amazon Studios in March. That's just kind of like a behind-the-scenes fun fact and what doesn't really influence the way you watch the movie, but I thought it was interesting. <laughs> and uh, Timothy Chalamet, who's in the film, is also a producer. This is also his second collaboration with Guadagnino. He was also in Call Me By Your Name. So going into this movie, saw it with a friend, we were honestly, like, very nervous. <laughs> we sat down. We didn't buy any snacks because we didn't really know what to expect. We didn't want to feel sick and not be able to eat any snacks. But we knew it was going to be disturbing. We just didn't really know, like, to what extent or to what level. So that was kind of our initial mindset. 
And the very opening scene where she bites the girl's finger made us very heavily question, like, okay, why are we here? Because <laughs> it was a little startling, and it made us very uncomfortable. But it's kind of like if you can stomach it initially, you're able to kind of get past it enough to keep watching the story play out. So on that note, I did love Call Me By Your Name a lot. I did. I really love that movie. But I thought this movie was just okay. I don't think I would watch it again versus how I do watch Call Me By Your Name occasionally if I'm kind of in the mood for that vibe. It was definitely well shot. It was well acted. Um, it explored a different kind of subject matter. But I just don't quite feel like I connected with it in a way that made me want to go back to it. Now, that could also be a factor in the cannibal, you know, that aspect. Just maybe I don't really want to watch that again. Uh, it's a lot to it's a lot to digest. No, ugh, pun not intended there. Sorry about that. Um, on that note, though, the cannibal subject matter, I think, was actually handled pretty well. I think it could have definitely been a lot more gory and self-serving and, like, disgusting for, like, the shock factor, but it did felt like they were kind of just showing enough to give you the idea of that quote-unquote lifestyle without trying to just perpetually turn your stomach. Like, if this was a horror movie, you would have been nauseous the whole time. And it kind of hit a point where you realize that this was just kind of their way of life versus trying to shock you and disgust you. On that note, though, it was kind of interesting. I made a point, like, I watched shows like The Walking Dead. I watched the zombies bite people and, like, the zombies walking around all gross. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Like, watching a human eat another human just felt weirder and grosser. And I don't know. It was just, it's very interesting how you can be kind of desensitized to one aspect of it but not the other. So just that element kind of messed with my head, too. It also made me wonder, like, and my friend, how many cannibals slash eaters, as they're called in the movie, how, like, how many of these people have I encountered in my life and not known it? This movie makes it seem like they're everywhere. Like, she met, like, five different people in one week. <laughs> so is it, like, a large amount of people? Do these people exist? Have I met one of these people and not known it? These are the questions that keep me up at night. Um, on that note, her meeting all these people this element of being able to smell each other comes into play. And that was just weird and alarming to me. Like, they, they're like, oh, I could smell you half a block away. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, why? How? Uh, but it did give them kind of a very animalistic quality. Like, I imagine that that's how animals are able to locate each other. And it was just kind of creepy, very unsettling. Uh, there was a lot of undertones and how I watched it also of, like, addicts. Like, they don't live with their families. They are always looking for their next fix. Like, they don't really know how to interact with society. They don't know how to live as, like, normal people. I don't know if that was intentional. Maybe it comes out more in the book. But that was kind of something that I kind of latched onto. Especially with just kind of how they look, how they dress. They're kind of gaunt. And they don't, they never really seem satisfied. Um, I know another big element to the film was that these two characters are falling in love. So Timothy Chalamet's character and Taylor Russell's character. But I kind of had a hard time buying into it. And I don't know if it's because it was just hard for me to connect with these people. 
or if they just had a better like friend chemistry. But like it wasn't like ew, stop kissing each other. It was more just like oh, okay, that's nice. But it wasn't like I didn't feel like I was rooting for them necessarily. And then I also just wonder if that had to do with knowing that they eat people. And I'm like, okay, I don't care what happens to you because you eat people. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. Maybe even though I don't want to watch it again, maybe watching it again might you might be able to connect with it a little better, knowing you know that it's not going to be as disgusting as you not as you thought going into it. I don't know. This one was just a tricky one for me. Um, so despite all of those questions and back and forth thoughts that I was having, it did really have like a sweet element of it of trying to find someone to love when you are just like a total outcast to society. Like someone that just fully understands you, accepts you, doesn't question you, supports you, you know, like that is a nice element. So I imagine like that was kind of a main thread they were trying to get at. It just happened to be part of a very strange <laughs> context. Um, Got to talk about the Sully of it all. He was a very creepy character, played by Mark Rylance. He was a very well-acted character. Super creepy, though. I feel like that maybe is the type of character you're anticipating to see in a movie about cannibals. And he played it well. But... Like, his character comes across, like, she meets him when she first leaves her hometown. And you find out that he has all these rules that he lives by in, like, this way of life that he has. He tries to bring Marion into these rituals and these rules. I guess he, like, sees a kindred spirit in her or something. Um, But she ultimately leaves. She flees from him because she doesn't want to be with him. Like, not in, like, a romantic way, but just literally does not want to be with him. And he kind of marks her because of that. Like, he doesn't seem to know how to move on knowing someone has seen that that side of him and has seen only, like, some of his rules and doesn't understand all his rules. It's kind of like a weird obsession. You find out later in the film that he's, like, following her around on this road trip while she's trying to get to Minnesota to locate her mother. So it's just kind of this creepy, like, stalker feeling where you just are like, is he going to show up again? You're not sure. But yeah, he's super creepy. And then it's very unfortunate how his storyline concludes when he ultimately shows up at the end. Spoiler alerts here. Very major one. Uh, He tries to kill Marion. Instead of her ultimately dying by the hand of Sully, Lee dies, Lee being Timothy Chalamet's character, as he's trying to defend her and, you know, like get him to stop. So... I feel like it's like one of those characters where you realize that the reason they were there was to kind of motivate the end of the film and the dying of another main character. There was also the very disturbing realization that Lee's character, or I'm sorry, Lee's sister, Kayla, had been eaten by Sully when they find a lock of her hair in his bag because she had blonde hair. You see the blonde hair in his bag. No one else in the movie has blonde hair. So it's just kind of a sad realization makes you kind of wonder, like, why was he trying to target Lee's sister if he was just trying to go after Marion? Just a lot of questions raised on this character, which is a good thing. Um, always a good thing when a character poses all these questions, but at the same time doesn't feel like plot holes, just kind of makes you want to know a little bit more. So, yeah, very, very unfortunate. The ending, though, with... 
um, him with Lee dying. It's kind of a very kind of twisted, maybe even considered like a dark romantic sentiment. Like Lee tells Marion to eat him as he is laying there dying. And it's very, it seemed just kind of almost like a very literal depiction of like an all-consuming love. So in this case, the pun is intended. And I feel like uh, knowing that that's how the movie ends kind of makes the whole entirety of the movie make a little more sense. But just in general, it was kind of an interesting situation. Like usually when someone dies in the movie, they are like first ones there to eat these people. Meanwhile, Lee is literally dead in her arms and he has to tell her like, please just, just eat me, just do it. So it's probably like a very strange thing going on in her mind of like what she should do. It's all also very weird that I'm talking about this. So, you know, there's that. Um, so the music was done by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. They've been doing a whole lot lately. It's kind of opposite from what you'd expect. It's kind of subtle, kind of like whimsy at times. Kind of tried to present this as almost like a mellow love story. Felt honestly very unsettling at times too. Because you kind of were like, oh yeah, but this is a cannibal film. So why am I like, aw, right now? <laughs> Just kind of strange. Uh, and I have mixed feelings about Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, so I'll digress for now. I did think it was really well done how you learn about Marion's backstory through the cassette tapes that her dad leaves her when he leaves her. I thought it was a smart way to kind of answer a lot of those questions that you might have had about her, like how she is, who she is, and where she is now. But it doesn't take up a lot of screen time because they're able to put that in while she's moving from, like, one place to another, while she's sitting on a bus. But you're able to kind of get some backstory about her. But you're also able to avoid a lot of the disgusting, like, she bit her babysitter when she was three, actual, like, pictures. And you're just kind of left to visualize that on your own. Um... The encounter with her mother towards the end of the film was also unfortunate. It was a little scary just because you didn't really know what her mother was going to do. And then her mother does try to attack her. Uh, Kind of a freaky glimpse at what her future could be and kind of showing her how Marion was still placing blame on her mom for leaving her and not really, quote unquote, teaching her how to live as an eater. So there's obviously just an element there of, you know, parent issues, troubled past issues, baggage with your parents, baggage with your mother, Dis- like discontent with how you were raised. And that's obviously more of a universal storyline that people can connect to. So in a weird, disturbing way, I probably felt more connected to that plot line <laughs> than I did the romance plot line. Uh, but yeah, that was, ugh, it was kind of creepy. They did that. I think they did that really well. Um, But yeah, this movie, it definitely does touch on a lot of real themes, you know, inclusion, acceptance, your past defining you, what's your future going to look like, all of those things in kind of like a weird twisty coming of age type of way. Um, A question slash point that was made by my friend that I was like, oh, actually, I didn't even think about that, uh, was, was this movie kind of on the nose? Was it being made by Guadagnino in regards to Army Hammer and all those revelations that came out that he was doing these cannibal things. 
especially considering that Army Hammer was in one of Guadagnino's more recent films. Uh, I walked out of the theater being like, it has to be. <laughs> There's no way it's not related. I looked up about it in a Variety article. The director claims that this presumption is, quote, preposterous. Same article, it says that he didn't even realize that there was that connection. Like, he just kind of picked the movie up from a previous director who was already being developed. It still seems a little too coincidental. But, you know, take that how you want to take that. I'm going to leave it there. In that same Variety article, he was also talking a little bit about how the film was made. And just this is kind of, I guess, like a disturbing fun fact. <laughs> he said that they actually spoke to different pathologists on how you would bite into someone who just died. Um, so it just the fact that they researched it this heavily is like both interesting and disturbing to me. I don't think I would have been able to notice any difference in how that is portrayed, but you know. If that's how they had to get into it, then okay. All the cannibal things aside, um, this film did really have really beautiful cinematography, some really nice camera shots. It had a really nice portrayal of just kind of the landscape and scenery of the Midwest and uh, like as they were road tripping around. You know, if the disgusting aspect of the movie wasn't in it, it'd probably be like just like a nice little road trip movie. <laughs> But ultimately, I'm describing this as very unsettling and just very wild. Watch it at your own risk. It's not as gory as you might anticipate, so just, you know, I won't steer you too wrong. Um, I'm not sure at this point if it's going to be nominated for anything. It hasn't been nominated for any Golden Globes as of yet. There's a potential. I think that it could receive a cinematography nod. Not really sure about acting. Maybe music. Maybe adapted screenplay. Uh, I think this is going to be a toss-up, especially with a lot of the big hitters coming out still. and Just a little bit more of those powerhouse movies. And this one not really striking as much of a chord as Call Me By Your Name did. And I guess just kind of depends on if Hollywood is open to this type of subject matter. Um, but yeah, this movie, as I mentioned, kind of on the way out the door of the theaters. Your best chance is to catch it on demand. I'm not sure where it's going to end up on streaming, but I have a high suspicion it'll be Amazon since they are merged with MGM and all that as of now. So, yeah, you know, if you like Timothy Chalamet, it's probably worth watching. If you like weird, disturbing content, definitely worth watching. Um, and that is Bones and All. On the next episode, I will be discussing Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery and the movie She Said. So I hope you'll join me for another trip to the movies. Thank you for listening today and for joining me on yet another trip to the movies.